Let's, let's get into it this morning, all right? We are going through the book of Romans, and um, this has been proven to be a very meaty, very chunky, very weighty, very, uh, it's Paul's, you know, his, his dissertation, his, his biggest kind of understanding for us, his greatest letter on the gospel. You know, we say that we are a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered church on mission, and we want to make much of Jesus. And that, that, that phrase, gospel-centered, can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. If I asked you this morning, what is the gospel? Uh, every single one of us here would be able to give a sentence or some kind of understanding of how we know what the gospel is. A lot of us might say, well, um, Jesus forgave me of my sins, right? And we say, yes, that's absolutely, that's the gospel. Or um, I understood that I was a sinner, before Jesus, and I needed a Savior to rescue me. And we go, yes, absolutely, that's the gospel. Or some of us here might say, well, not only was um, I a sinner and um, I needed Jesus, and Jesus came and he died on the cross for me, but now I'm living in this hope right now as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus, I understand that it's not just my initiation into Christianity. I understand that the gospel is my, my everyday walking out in life of, of this thing I call Christianity. And we'd say, yes, that absolutely is the gospel. And some of us might even go further than that and go, it's not even just my hope now, it's a future hope that when Jesus returns, this fleshly body, the, the wrestle I have with sin and the, the, the things I do and I don't want to do, that whole thing, I'm going to be glorified, I'm going to be set free, and I'm going to rule and reign with God forever. And we say, yes, that's the gospel, right? And it's all of this encompassing of what the gospel is in Paul and his dissertation to the Romans, a church who he's never yet met, a church he hopes one day he will get, be able to get to and establish a base camp in Rome and to be able to see the gospel spread from Rome into the rest of the world. He writes his letter to them saying, hey guys, I, I, we've never met, but I want you to know this beautiful, glorious gospel. And so what we've done so far is we've gone through the first four chapters together, right? We've, each week, we've gone through verse by verse talking about what this means. And we saw how Paul is saying, hey, the whole world is guilty of sin. There's nobody, it doesn't matter if you were born into the Jewish faith or the Jewish family. It doesn't matter if you were um, a Gentile, which means you're not a Jew. It doesn't, and you may have worshiped other gods, but now you've come to Christianity. It, it's, your right standing with God is not based on whether you were born in the right family or whether you do all these good and bad things. It's based on Christ alone. And whether you think it or not, and no matter how much you try to put your hope in your works, it always comes back. Our justification, our right standing with God always comes back to the fact and the truth of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And he continues to encourage us and say, live in that. And he, he told us before, it's like the whole world is suppressing the truth. We are without excuse to, to acknowledge that there is a God. But this morning, there's a little bit of a difference. We're going to look at chapter 5 together. And Paul, what he does is he changes his language. He changes the pronoun. He goes from, you know, they, 
or I, he talks about, remember when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Remember when he said that? And that's like a famous verse out of the, the book of Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For why? Because it is the power of God for salvation. And he, he told his story about how he was once one way and then God encountered him on the road to Damascus, radically changed. He said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. And so he uses these pronouns about like them, the, the unbelievers. This is the way they are. And, and this is me and this is I and this is what happened to me. But now he uses the word we. And as we're going to look at chapter five this morning, I want us to understand that what he's talking to this, this transition of a pronoun here, he's saying, believers, disciples of Jesus, this is for us who have put our hope, who have put our faith in Christ, who call ourselves disciples of Jesus, who say we will follow Jesus no matter what the cost. I want to encourage you, the we this morning, Southland's Chino, the we, for, uh, for those of us here this morning who say, yeah, that's me, I'm a Christian, not just because I go to church here, but because I've given Jesus my heart, I've given him my life, and I will obey him. And so that's Paul, he's speaking to us here from chapter 5. So you ready to dive in? All right, let's do it. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5, we're going to be reading from the ESV. And um, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you there. And this is where Paul says... Therefore, now if you've ever heard any preacher say, therefore, you always have to, have to ask the question, what's the therefore? therefore? Therefore. All right, that was really weak. Angie, you were on the ball. All right, let's try it again. What's the therefore? All right, and so whenever you see therefore, you always should ask that question. And this therefore is chapters one through four. Paul's saying, because of all this stuff, that's why I did a little bit of an intro this morning. Because of all these things that have happened, because of all the truth of the gospel, because this is true, because you can't earn your salvation, because there are people who suppress the truth, but you, you this morning who call yourselves Christians, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Amen. Woohoo! Aren't you excited about that? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And I'm just going to read verse 5. I don't think it's up there, but it says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has, put, has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And if I had a title of the sermon this morning, it would be this. It would be, Since We Have Been Justified. Since We Have Been been justified. Therefore, since all of this has taken place, therefore, remember last week we talked about our faith and how Abraham was the father of our faith and how it was uh, accounted to Abraham righteousness because of his faith. And it's the same for you and me this morning for those of us who are put our faith in Christ. We have righteousness accounted to us not because of our works, not because we scored a bunch of brownie points through the week or through the most of our life, you know, if God were to scale us and we were to die today and he would put our good and our bad works on the scale. Some of us might be duped into believing in a very religious way that somehow God will weigh those up and then if our good works outweigh our bad works, then somehow he'll be like, all right, good job, you made it. You just by the skin of your teeth, right? But you made it and you're like, whew, no, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying 
Justification came through faith alone. Your salvation in Christ was faith alone. God is not going to weigh up these good and bad if you put your hope in Christ. And he said, since that's happened, therefore, therefore, all of these beautiful things for those of us this morning who call ourselves Christians get to live in. And this is where the gospel just it goes beyond, you know, it, we, sometimes we think of our life as a timeline, right? Because we're very linear thinking. And so we think, okay, I was born, and then maybe down here I'll die, right? And then, but all this, all this way from, from here to there, somehow I might get like to maybe, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20. Maybe I, maybe I said yes to Christ in the youth, or maybe it was longer, it was 40 or 50s, whatever it was. But somewhere in this timeline, God encountered me just like he did Paul. And in, in that encounter, I, re- I returned and I, I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. And then where we, where we go wrong is we sometimes think, okay, God came into my life here. And then what he does is he saves me, but then he points me to the end and he tells me, all right, Kelly, now on your own, with what you know, with what I've been giving you, I want you to walk out the rest of your Christianity. And if you mess up here and there, I'll, I'll come back and I'll forgive you. Only if you ask, though. That's such a wrong way of understanding our Christian faith. See, what happens is, yes, we are born. There is this linear kind of understanding from birth to death. But God, in his infinite love and wisdom and and grace in our life, he's walking through us every step. And when we have that encounter, when he encounters us and transforms and makes our heart come alive, he doesn't just leave us to go, okay, now figure it out. Go figure out the rest by yourself. He walks with us every step of the way, and that's the gospel. The gospel doesn't just say it's your initiation into Christianity. The gospel is not just the beginning of our Christianity. The gospel is the beginning, the middle, the end, and then beyond the end. And so what Paul is saying, hey guys, because that's true of who you are, the we of who you are, there's some benefits. There's some good news for us who call ourselves Christians. And we're going we're gonna to look at those this morning. So that's where we're going. All right? You guys all right? All right. You're with me. My throat's getting dry. Who's got water? Nobody. Okay. You guys don't love me. I guess you don't care about me. I guess that's what's happening. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That was manipulative. I'm sorry. <sighs> Thanks, bro. Sometimes I get a little excited and I get a little thirsty making you all jealous. All right. So if this is true, and it is true, what are the benefits? Well, let's let's look look through them. And I'm just going to tell you what the Bible's telling you, all right? I didn't come up with any points this morning. It was Jesus who came up with the points, all right? Number one, Paul says this. uh, In verse one, he says, we have peace with God. We have peace. Why is the gospel such good news for the Christian? It's not just good news for the unbelieving person. It's good news for the believer. Why? Because in our salvation, in our faith for salvation, in our faith for justification, which means God looks at us and it's just as if we've never sinned, our right standing with God, in that, Paul says, we have peace with God. Now, Before we have this encounter, before God comes and he regenerates our dead heart, before this happens, Paul says 
that all of us, no matter how good or bad you think you are, no matter what lineage you come from, he says that we are enemies of God. Remember we talked about this sense of being totally depraved, which means that there is no ability within our own human nature to save ourselves, to do enough good works in ourselves, to please God, or to be able to get into heaven on our own. And so what Paul is saying, see this big transition, what took place, this different encounter that you had with God? Thanks, Angie. This one's cold. How come that one's not cold? I'm just kidding, bro. What was I saying? Before I manipulated even more. We are totally depraved. We have no ability to save ourselves. And before we came to Christ and before Christ availed himself to us, we were enemies of God. But now, since we've been saved, we are at peace with God. And this is so important for us because if we don't have this, we don't get gratitude in our hearts for where we were before. See, when we understand that before we were actually, God was opposed to us. I mean, who wants to be opposed by the creator and the controller of the universe? Not me. The one who can say things. Remember we looked at last week, Abraham believed God and he believed that God was the one who was able to raise the dead to life and also to be able to speak into existence things that do not exist. Creation itself. And why would we want to be opposed to God? And if there's not gratitude in your heart this morning, if you're a believer and you're not like, God, thank you so much that I'm peace with, at peace with you now, I think a little bit of the joy of your salvation has been lost. Maybe a bit of it has just been taken for granted. Maybe you just kind of go through life and you're like, yeah, I've been, I've been a Christian for this long and I've experienced the peace of God for this long in my life. It's kind of like granted, Right? But I think when we understand where we came from and the, the, the fact that Jesus became flesh and bone and skin on our behalf, Emmanuel, God with us, made a way for us when we were not at peace with God. It speaks to the gratitude of our hearts. Ask John Poole how he's doing. <laughs> Ask him. You know what John will say? Ah, I'm going to try to do my best John Poole impersonation. You ready? I am blessed. <laughs> Why? Why does John say that every, every day when you ask him? Because his body's feeling amazing. There might be days where he's feeling great physically. There may be days where he's not feeling great physically. John has this understanding that he is blessed. Why? Because he once was not at peace with God. Jesus came and came into John's world when, when John was still God's enemy and rescued John and pulled him out of the miry clay, set him on a firm foundation. And so John can say with absolute conviction, absolute, it's, there's, no, there's no like exaggeration in it, I am blessed. So we have peace with God. The beautiful thing about this, this peace it goes beyond like this formal kind of religious, like, oh, once we were enemies and now we're like, okay. You know, how somehow we're just like amicable with God. <laughs> the beauty of our salvation is God goes way beyond, is that a word, amicableness? It's not a word. I'm just going to make it a word. He goes so far beyond that and he brings reconciliation and he brings relationship with us. 
that should like, little emoji with the atomic bomb coming out of our head should happen. That the God, the creator of all things, in his initiation, made peace with us who don't deserve it. Not only do we have peace, but then Paul says this. He says in verse 2, he says, we stand in grace. We stand in grace. Our, our reconciliation even goes further from just this relational aspect with God. And now we, we live in this, we stand in grace. And grace is, if you've ever heard a preacher talk about it, it's unmerited favor. Often what we do as Christians is we confuse grace and mercy. And let me explain it this way. We often think that God is gracious because he doesn't kill us. And let's just be honest. God should wipe us all out. One of our sins should wipe us off the face of the earth. Because why? God is holy. God is perfect. He cannot be in relationship with, with sin. He is light. We are dark and in our essence and in our nature. And our, we're born that way. And so God should just be like, well, you're, you're not perfect like I'm perfect. So I can't even look at you. Actually, it's beyond not even being able to look at you. I should pff, you turn, turn into a pile of ash. But no, that's not grace. That's mercy. See, mercy doesn't give us what we deserve, okay? And so, yes, God is a merciful God. It's like standing in front of the judge, and we did this and this and this, and the judge says, well, I'm going to be merciful for you. I'm not going to make you go to jail for a thousand days. You're going to go to jail for 10 days. That's mercy. But God, what Paul's talking about here, standing in grace goes beyond even mercy, and this should again blow our minds because we know who we are. God goes beyond mercy and he lavishes grace and he, he gives us unmerited favor. When he says, okay, yes, you did this and you deserve a thousand days. Not only am I, not only, I'm not going to give you 10, but I'm going to give you a get out of jail free card. And now I'm going to empower you to live a good life so that you don't need to find yourself coming back to this jail and sitting under the sentence. And it's not that I'm just going to give you a get out of jail free card and just say, okay, go live your life. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send my son and he is going to pay the price for your thousand days that you should have been in jail. That is grace. And Paul says, because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did for us, you and I, the we of what Paul says, we stand in grace. Now, when I say stand, let me, let's unpackage that. Let's double click it, right? Let's, what does that Google say? What's the hyperlink to stand this morning? See, Grace, Dallas Willard, uh, I wrote it down. What did, he, what did he say? Dallas Willard says this about grace Grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Let me say that again. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. So what he's saying here is that we receive the grace of God not because we earned it, not because of our effort, and God looked at us and go, whoa, check it out, guys. This guy's doing really good. Let's give him some grace. No, we didn't earn the grace, but it's not opposed to our, our, our effort in saying we have to stand in this grace because what ends up happening is this truth of the gospel that we all say we're rooted in, the world and other religions and every system of the world says, don't believe it. 
Don't stand in that grace. It's not fair. You need to earn it. What a bunch of hypocrites. You're going to say that you've been forgiven and then you go and sin? You're going to say that God forgave you of your sin and you're trying to be like Jesus, but then in the week you go and sin and then we listen to that and we go, yeah, that's probably true. I'm a, I'm a hypocrite. Uh, you shouldn't listen to anything I say. I need to earn this favor that I've received by God somehow. And God says, no, that's, that's the way of religion. That's the way of a boss review, right? We, we, your boss says you did this, this, and this really good this week, so you're getting a 3% raise. Woo, yes! And Jesus says, no. All I'm asking you to do is stand in this grace, which means we remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. When I'm tempted to stand outside of grace and try to earn my salvation, I stand back over here where I'm supposed to stand on the solid ground and remind myself that I have not saved myself. It wasn't my own effort. It wasn't anything I did. It was the grace of God, and I continue to stand in it. When the enemy comes and speaks lies to me, when the world comes and speaks lies to me, when I my own condemning heart speaks lies to me, I remind myself and I put my effort in the grace that God has provided for me. And we stand. Stand. When you've done all to stand, stand. And when you stand, stand some more. R.E.M. Stand in the place where you... Okay, never mind. Just try to bring some levity to it. Number three, not only do we have peace, not only do we stand in grace, we rejoice in hope. Verse two says we rejoice in hope. The hope Paul is speaking about is not like our everyday use of the word hope, right? Like, I hope it's not a thousand degrees in Chino today, right? I hope the weather's nice. I, I hope my boss is nice to me. I hope my kids get along. I hope... My finances work out. I hope, oh, blah, 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 hope, hope. See, that's not the hope that God's talking about. It's a joyful and confident, joyful and confident expectation in what? In the promises of God. Remember how Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteous, righteousness? And remember how we talked about the object of our faith is what's important. We can try to have all this really strong faith and muster it up, but if, if the object of our faith is not strong, then our faith is weak, as much faith as we say we have. And it's the same here that when we put our hope in God, it's not this like, well, I'm kind of crossing my fingers that this outcome will take place. No, what we're doing is we're, again, we're going back and we're standing in the confidence of what God has already said. And I know that in this room, there are people that are believing for things that God has spoken to you and you may not have seen those things take place yet. My encouragement to you is, brothers and sisters, put your hope, not in your circumstances, brothers and sisters, don't put your hope in, in what your eyes, your physical eyes can see, Put your hope in the one who spoke these things. And whether it takes a day or it takes 15 years, you can rest with a quiet confidence and joy that your hope will not be taken from you because it's God who said it, nobody else. So we rejoice in hope. And, and when Paul's telling the, the Romans here, rejoice in hope, there's a couple things that these, this church is really believing for. And I think 
this gets lost on us in our modern day and ages is first that we will see Jesus return with great power and glory. I mean, when's the last time you're like, Lord Jesus, come? Sometimes we're like, Jesus, don't come back yet. I want to enjoy this and this and this and the earthly pleasures. And this church longed for the return of Jesus. And Paul's telling them, keep your hope. Keep your hope that Christ is going to return. Second, that we will be transformed and made glorious just like Christ. The older I get, the more this becomes reality. I see it in my body. I'm like, Lord, Jesus, come back. (laughs) And it's not just me personally, but there's also a hope that all of creation, all of this world, I mean, we live in a world that is continually decaying and turning away from God and getting worse and worse and worse. You put on news and you're just like, is there anything worthy to praise? It's all doom and gloom. Lord Jesus, come and make all things new. Change this world. We need you. And Paul says we rejoice in hope. It's a hope that Jesus will return and he'll make all things new. Our bodies, our minds, when we, do, when we don't do the things we, should, we know we should, that's all going to be ended. But then the other side of that coin Paul says in verse 3, he says we rejoice in suffering. Oh, Well, how do you even rejoice in suffering? Is Paul telling us here to be a bunch of like sadomasochist Christians? Uh, You know, when we go through trials and and, and we go through hardship and we go through just just the reality of of sin taking its, you know, toll on this world and we're like, oh, yeah, I love it. We hurt so good, right? John Cook is it John Cougar Mellencamp? You know, oh yeah, like we just is Paul telling us a bunch of weird be a bunch of weirdos? No. What does he mean when he tells us don't only just rejoice in hope, but rejoice in suffering? I I, I want to say it's rejoice even in suffering. And here's how Paul breaks this down. How can we rejoice in suffering? He says this in verse three. More than that, we rejoice in suffering. What he says, knowing. Knowing. That is a huge word for us to understand here, knowing. What is this knowing? It's a deep conviction. It's a deep understanding, not rooted in our own ability. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul says that we need to know. We need to know that suffering produces endurance. You you ever talk to anybody who's grown physically or spiritually, or emotionally, in maturity, they ever say, the reason why that took place is because my life was super easy. Everything just went my way. I wanted money, poof, money appeared. I wanted this certain situation to happen in life, poof. No, nobody says that. Everybody says, how did you get stronger? Well, let me tell you, this sucked, then this sucked. And then after that sucked, this sucked, and then that sucked. Why? I don't know why. God, why did you make it that way, right? But God in his love and his infinite wisdom allows us to go through suffering because he wants to mature us, and we see that that's that's a fruit of it. And he says, For those of us who know who God is and we stand in grace and we know that we have peace, we don't need to earn our effort and all this kind of thing, we have grace, etc. 
When suffering comes, we still rejoice. Why? Because we know God's with us. And in the midst of that, when we suffer, it produces what? It produces endurance. We can keep on fighting the good fight. No matter what the world says, no matter what circumstance, shout at us and go, look at me. No, keep our attention on the one who is able to raise the dead to life, the one who speaks into existence things that are not. He brings them about, and we keep on going. Even when suffering's hitting us all over the place, we endure. Not only that do we not just endure, when we endure, it produces what? Character. So that when I stand and someone looks back and goes, dude, something different about you. Yeah, let me tell you what's happening. As I'm standing in the grace of God, even in the midst of my suffering, God's given me the grace of endurance. And in that grace, God has changed me. I used to be pretty naive about this and this and this. And although I'm not jaded, I'm not jaded, but my character has grown. It's taught me to love God even in spite of. It's taught me to think the best of others even when they speak ill against me. It's taught me to do this and this and this because what I'm doing is I'm standing in grace. And it doesn't end there. See, Suffering goes from endurance, endurance goes to uh, character, and character goes to hope. See this? It's like cyclical. All stemming into the knowing what God has called us to. All right, you guys doing okay? Let's, let's make a little bit of a shift change in here. Now, let me ask the question that you might ask later. Because we end up doing this, Kelly, I hear what you're saying, amen, tell the truth, pastor, kind of stuff, right? Right here, Sunday morning, it's easy to do that. When you walk out of the doors, and you're like, wait, wait, what was that feeling I had? What was that truth that I thought I really owned? Eh, Circumstances are starting to tell me I'm not so sure about that. What's to guarantee us that the peace, that the grace that the rejoicing, the joy will not be cut off from us sometimes. Basically, what's to guarantee us that it's not going to run out? What's to guarantee us that this situation's not going to overcome these promises? What's to guarantee that maybe if I sin, God will turn, he'll push, he'll push me away? Here's what Paul says in Romans 5, verse 5. He talks about this, this, this progression into hope, and he says, and hope does not put us to shame. And that's so cool. He's, he's, what Paul's doing right here, he's saying, guys, you have a license to believe. You have a li- I'm giving you free license to be naive almost about it. Don't freak out. Don't worry about worst case scenarios because hope will not bring us to shame. Don't, don't worry about putting your hope in God. Okay? It's all right to put all of your eggs in one basket when it comes to hope. And again, it's what your hope's in. So he says this, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
Kelly, what if, what if this happens? What if this, and what if it seems like circumstantially, what if I'm, my, I've had a particularly morally bad week, season of life, and, and it, 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 I, I don't know if I can believe anymore that what you're saying, that these promises will remain. What do I do when I'm tempted to believe that this, is, this can run out? And we go, we go back to Romans 5.5, 5 and we see that we will not be ashamed in hope and because of the love of God has been poured into our hearts. The love of God. I don't know about you, but when I understand the depth and the truth of the love of God, no matter what my circumstances are, my perspective changes. Then we got to ask the question, what kind of love is this? What's the quality of this love? I'm so glad you guys asked that question. We're going to end with that this morning. So here's what Paul tells us. Continuing reading verse 6, and this is how Paul describes this love. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we, are, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What kind of love is this? Well, he gives us three kind of things, and we've, we've hit on them, but let me just, if you're taking notes, this is what Paul says. Number one, this love it, from God, is, it's not based on our earning. He says this, for while we were still weak, that's talking about this moral frailty. That's talking about our total depravity. That's talking about our basic unability to be able to save ourselves. We're weak. If we were to arm wrestle against absolute purity and truth, we would lose every single time. Yet God in his love for us saves us in that state. In our sinful nature, he comes and he rescues us. And so we see, we say, God, thank you that I can stand. And even when I'm tempted not to stand and believe the lies of the circumstances, you tell me to keep pushing through because it's love. And then I go, oh, okay, love. Yeah, love. What, what kind of love? It's the love that is not earned on your own works. See, when we think we have to earn it, we're in big trouble. But when we come back to the truth that we don't have to earn this love from God, we're set free. Not only that is God's love not earned, God's love is way different than human love. Thank God. Here's what he says, 7 through 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. So a righteous person would be like, man, that, that guy's like probably a really righteous person. He's doing all these righteous things, right? And maybe, maybe somebody should die for them because they're so... Like, they seem really holy and all these kind of things. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even dare even die. And I, and I think, like, this good person is, like, the people we put our value in. It's, like, maybe for our kids, maybe for our spouse, maybe for our, like, army buddy that we were in the foxholes with, the trenches with. We're like, yeah, I'd, I'd take a bullet for him. But God shows his love for us. Not for the righteous, not for the people we put value in. He puts his love for us in that while we were still 
sinners. Where the world would say, no value. Where a righteous person would say, no value. Where we would be tempted to say, doesn't bother me if that person dies. God in his love is not like human love, where it's based on how it affects us. And here's the other thing, too, about the love of God not being human. Human love can only go so far. Human love only has so much power and so much resource until we just can't give anymore. God's love is eternal, incessant, never-ending. We can never exhaust the love of God. (laughs) Such good news. What kind of love is this? Last one, God's love is not deserved. And if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we know that's true. He says this in verse 10, for if while we were enemies... Think about the person that hates you the most. Maybe you don't have an enemy this morning. Think about the person who may be actively against you. Maybe there's a person at work who's always trying to get that raise over you and make you look bad. How much love do you have for that person? Most of your love is probably conditional or based on the fact that you're trying to be good and loving to that person, not God's love. See, God's love, even when we, while we were still enemies of him, while we were saying, God, I don't, one, I don't want to believe in you, and two, I don't want to believe in you because I don't want you to do anything that you would ask me to do because I want to live my own life. And God, in his love, while we were enemies, reaches down, saves us when we couldn't save ourselves and enables to say, like John Poole, I am blessed. Will you stand with me this morning?